Um, I'm pretty sure that most of y'all are going to be familiar with one of the greatest stories in Scripture found in, in John chapter 4. It's the story of Jesus meeting this broken woman, this, this woman who has experienced tragedy and betrayal and brokenness and deception and yeah, has sin in her life, but has also, I'm sure, uh, encountered all sorts of things that would bring high-level trauma into a person's life, being that she has been married and divorced five times, living with a man that's not her husband, and, and Jesus comes along and begins picking up the pieces of her broken heart and putting them back together. And Jesus, he's tired and thirsty, he's weary, and so He's, he's looking for a place to chill and rest. And all of a sudden, he has an opportunity to speak those words to a woman. You know how those, those words cause our hearts to burn, right? And the lights are turning on, and she's, she's feeling hope and joy for the first time. And God knows how long. And we know that those words that cause hearts to burn caused her heart to burn because she left there fired up. And she goes back to her town, which... I think, is, I think is actually a big deal because she's re-entering the place that represents all of her mistakes. Everyone knows her dirty laundry. She has all sorts of regrets, but suddenly she has found her voice and she is loud. And the whole town hears the truth of Jesus. And it's so anointed and powerful that her town goes and meets this man that she met. And it's this, the whole town turns to Jesus, and it's this incredible story, and the last time I was, I was reading it, I was just moved again by, by all those details, and then I found out that this woman, she is uh, honored as a saint, celebrated to this very day, Saint Fotini, which means the luminous one or the shining one. And like I said, that, that story moves me, but the last time I read it, I felt like... Um, I went into this vision and I went back in time, 18 year, 1800 years. And in that very spot, I saw a man digging and there was sweat and dirt on his face and he was just digging in that spot. And I remembered from scripture, it, there's actually sitting at Jacob's well. And here's this guy, Jacob, he's, He's digging a well because he knows that's, what, that's the most loving thing you can do as a patriarch of a family living in a desert or an arid land. You don't want your, your, your wife or your, or your maidservants walking this long distance to gather water. So the best thing that a man can do is to dig a well right there in his own property so that his family is taken care of. And while he, Jacob is digging this well, he's not thinking like he's doing anything particularly spiritual. He's not even thinking, I'm a great well digger or I have the secret, you know, to digging the best wells in the world. He's just doing what he knows he needs to do. He's being obedient in that moment. Jacob was doing what he learned from his dad, Isaac, to do, who learned from his dad, Abraham, what to do. He was digging a well for his for his family, not knowing that one day God himself, the incarnation of Christ, would grow weary and be looking for a place to drink. 
And you can imagine Jacob in the great cloud of witnesses with the rest of the saints watching in awe as Jesus is doing his thing on planet earth. And Jesus is walking you know, through this area one day and Jacob's like, that looks familiar. He's, he's in my backyard. And Jacob's like, no way, no way. As, as Jesus is sitting down, weary, he's now resting on the work of Jacob's hands. I can't imagine the honor, the joy, this full circle redemptive moment because this Jacob is actually the guy that wore God out in an all night cage match, right? Jacob is the guy that wrestled with the Lord. He's the one that wore him out. And now the, the, the end all legacy of the worship and life of Jacob is he is the one who created the well that would refresh Jesus for all of eternity. Not only that, because he dug that well, because he lived his life with honor, because of the way that he worshiped the Lord, it created this whole moment for Jesus to put back together the broken heart of this Samaritan woman who would lead this Samaritan town to the Lord. We wouldn't even have John chapter four if a man didn't just go out and start digging. And I want you guys to know that it might not look spiritual, what you're doing with your life right now. You might be thinking, I'm just slugging it out and starting a business and I'm just making ends meet. And the Lord is seeing you digging a well and you have no idea how your obedience is refreshing him now and will refresh him forever. There's another guy that seemed to move God's heart a lot in scriptures. His name is David. Sweet David, that boy who was a, a shepherd that sat out in the pastures who learned to sing to God alone and discovered things about the heart of God through singing to him that the world is still unpacking the revelation on those words to this very day. And, and that's actually because you can get things about God through singing that you can't get through thinking When you open up your heart and sing an honest song to God, suddenly wisdom and revelation is hitting you. God can't help himself. He just loves to reciprocate. You know what I mean? We start singing to him thinking that we're making him like feel good or something. Like we praise, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, I love you. And he's like, whatever you sing to me bounces off me and sticks to you. <laughs> you're beautiful. You're wonderful. You're full of wonder. I love the stuffing out of you, you know? He just, and it's, and it's usually just because we've opened up our hearts to pour our love on him, he's, he's like, that's the moment I needed. And then he's bum rushing us, right? With a bear hug and he's loving on us. And we, we just get completely undone by God's goodness when we're singing to him. But David, um, David did a lot of awesome things with his life, but probably the most important thing that David did was he built a chair. Now, David, he wasn't a carpenter, so it wasn't that kind of chair. We know that he was a, a minstrel and, and a shepherd, and he spent all that time singing to God, and he becomes a prolific 
songwriter of honest and powerful praise songs, and David becomes obsessed. You know, the trajectory of his life is an insane one, but this whole time he's becoming more and more obsessed. And as it, as it says in the Psalms, he becomes afflicted, afflicted with this desire to create a tabernacle or a place where God could rest and be with his people, a place where we could praise God and a place where we could discover things about this amazing Lord. He didn't build a throne for himself. He worshiped God. And what we know is that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. And so when Jesus comes along, lives his perfect life, dies his perfect death, rises from the dead and ascends into heaven, he sits at the right hand of God. And do you know that he doesn't sit on the throne of Jesus, right? Jesus sits on the throne of David for all of eternity. He's honoring this young man who worshiped him rightly. The way that you live your life really, really matters. He sees it. He cherishes it. He is like that quintessential overly affectionate dad who like keeps all of his kids' artwork and puts it up on the fridge and remembers every song and is always filming every moment, you know? Like, <clears throat> he just loves his kids and he's always looking for those ways to honor us forever. David lived such a life that even after David was gone, um, the, the nation of Israel was benefiting from David's life. There were two different times when some sort of disaster was going to come against Israel. And God says, for the sake of my servant David, I'm not going to let this happen. This is 300 years after he's died. That would be like if some sort of disaster was heading towards Corpus Christi 300 years from now. And God is watching this happen. And he looks over and locks eyes with Amber Bendette. And says, I, I can't let this happen. Amber loves that town. I remember Amber and how she loved that town. I can't, I can't watch this happen to that town. In Jesus' hardest moment, I'm talking the, the darkest, most difficult thing he has ever faced. He is hanging on the cross abandoned by nearly everyone, and he's feeling the weight, feeling what it feels like to be abandoned and left alone. He's hanging on that cross, and do you know what he starts to do? He starts to sing David's song. A boy in a moment, hundreds of years in the past, had a moment when he felt rejected. He felt abandoned. He felt all alone. And David, hundreds of years before Jesus is singing, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God. And he's singing an honest song to God, not knowing that 500 years later, the savior of the world, God incarnate himself in the moment that he's reconciling the world back to the heart of God would choose his old worship song to be the moment. 
And we know that David was never actually forsaken, right? And we know that Jesus was never actually forsaken, right? The Father was with him through every step of this. Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. And so when he laid down on that cross, that's where he saw the Father laying. Jesus said to his disciples, you all will leave me alone, but my Father and I are one. He will never leave me. And so when Jesus is on the cross singing David's worship song, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was telegraphing something to the world in that moment. And I want you to finish this phrase for me. This will prove my point. You guys might know this one. It may look like I'm surrounded, but... How did y'all do that? How did you know that? Well, it's because you heard the beginning of the song, and when you hear the beginning of the song, you remember all the lyrics, right? You remember the end of the song. And David's Psalm 22 starts off with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the, one of the very last verses, verse 24 says, he has not hidden his face from him. He's heard his cry. And you know what the very last verse of Psalm 22 is? He has accomplished it. It is finished. Jesus in the greatest moment the moment that the world would be turned back to God, the, wor- the moment that the world would be able to run to the Father with confidence, Jesus to- chose that moment to sing King David's song over us so that we would understand that the Father will never turn his back on us. So in that moment, it's more like Jesus is singing, it may look like I'm abandoned, but it couldn't be further from the truth. But he he stepped into our brokenness and he echoed our complaint to God the exact same way David echoed his complaint to God. None of this would have happened if David didn't just get really honest with God and start singing. A lot of times we think that think that we miss really powerful moments with God by praying prayers to him that we think he wants to hear instead of just telling him what's really going on. You know, when, when we're going through one of those valley moments like David was in when he wrote Psalm 22, and, and if, if we have no idea how we're going to get out of it, we have no idea what tomorrow is going to look like, and we start singing a song like, it's all going to be okay because you're really, really good. God knows that you're just slapping some lipstick on pig, right? <laughs> right? And he, he's waiting for us to actually be vulnerable and honest And I'm not saying that like we should major on complaining to God or like just become complainers, but God knows when we're just faking it. David would complain to God and we think, oh, brother, you can't complain to God. Well, David complained to God and it became scripture, became songs that Israel would sing. It's okay to be honest. We don't always see the full picture. And what happened with David is he started out with a complaint and he ended in praise. It completely changed his perspective when he got honest with God and he started to realize the reality of the situation from heaven's perspective. 
So in this pivotal moment where the last Adam is fixing the fall of the first Adam, Jesus is picking David's song to sing. David, when he wrote that song, he wasn't thinking someday Jesus is gonna sing this, right? He didn't wake up that day and say, I'm really gonna write a banger today for the Lord. It's gonna go down into history. He was like Jacob. He was just doing what he knew to do. Jacob knew how to dig wells and it was worship to the Lord that refreshed him forever. David knew how to write songs and it became the songs that Jesus would sing at the redemption of humanity. It's a lot like when this guy named Kevin got really honest with the Lord and started singing, there's a harp in my heart and only you can play it. There's a song in my broken soul and only you can sing it. See, David didn't know that when he was singing those words to his one thing, that one day his one thing would sing those words over the world. Your life really, really matters to the Lord. The way you live your life, the way you work your job, the way you love your kids, it's worship, it's a fragrance to the Lord. And there's this one time, uh, I think it was like 17 years ago, I was in this worship service with like 50, maybe 100 people, and this guy named Rick Pino was leading worship. And uh, no one knew him back then. He's, he's, he's pretty well known now, but the band just hit this crescendo. You know those moments when the corporate anointing drops, freedom hits the room and everyone's just dancing. We're just singing and shouting to the Lord. Ah! And all of a sudden the band just train wrecks, just comes to like a really awkward stop. It's not like when the, like one of those moments when the worship leader gets on the talk back and is like, all right, let's bring it down to a really con contemplative moment real slow. No, it was like, and, and Rick gets on the microphone and says, do you guys smell that? And a guy in the back of the room goes, we smell it back here, man. It smells so good. And everyone's like, the, the fragrance of the Lord falls in the room and everyone can smell this amazing fragrance. It smells like what adrenaline feels like. You know, like an adventure on a mountain mixed with spiced apples. And like, I mean, it's just <laughs> and this indescribable smell that like, it like possessed us. And <clears throat> someone's like, there's a deaf ear up here. Let's pray for him. So we prayed for him and his ear opened. The guy's screaming because he can now hear through the ear that was once deaf. And everyone starts celebrating and the band starts, you know, fires back up again and they're going for it. And I left that meeting. I mean, what an unforgettable moment. I was like, Lord, thank you for letting us experience the, the fragrance of the Lord. And he said, that was Mary's perfume. I still smell like it. He said, 2,000 years ago, when Mary anointed me, that is the aroma that I took on, and I will never take it off. Everywhere that this message is told, what she has done will be told also, right? 
So whenever Jesus manifests, you smell the fragrance of the Lord, just know that you are actually smelling the devotion of a young woman from 2,000 years ago that moved the heart of God. And the reason that her worship moved Jesus' heart so deeply is because it perfectly mirrored what was going to happen in 24 hours. See, Mary came forward with her best broke it open, and Jesus said, what she has done, she has anointed me for my burial. And within 24 hours, heaven would take its best, Christ himself, break him open and anoint the world for burial. But you know, she didn't wake up that morning and think, I'm gonna anoint the Lord for burial. I'm gonna worship God in a way that's gonna be talked about for all of eternity. She, she just woke up, I think, feeling something in her heart or in her spirit from the Lord. And it's like, what if today is the last day that we have him like this? I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't tell him or show him what he's done for me. And she, she looks around, she grabs what she has. <clears throat> You know, up until that moment, every priest of Israel and every king of Israel was anointed into his priestly or kingly duties by a man. And here's the king of kings. The Lord of lords. Our Alpha, our Omega, humanity's high priest, anointed into his heavenly, priestly, kingly duties by a young woman who knew how to worship, this daughter of Eve. And to this day, he still smells like the fragrance of her love. And you know, that, that moment we know that it cost her something. <laughs> I'm not sure that she really cared. Um, the, thing about, the thing about real worship is it comes from those deep places. It comes from the, the holy ground of our journey with God. And it costs us something. You know, we, we only have like seven, eight, maybe nine decades to worship God when it really is hard, right? And then once we wake up on the other side in the arms of Jesus, it's not hard to worship him anymore. I think this is probably why Jesus turned over those tables when he came into Jerusalem. You know, that famous moment, so <laughs> cool and mystical and <clears throat> Jesus, he's just a bull in a china shop sometimes. And, and we know that Jesus, he turned those tables for probably several reasons. Obviously, he's like, I'm done with the sacrificial system. <laughs> like, I'm here. The sacrifice is here. <laughs> but, <laughs> but also, like, <clears throat> they, made, they made worship cheap. The money changers 
So like when you were to bring an offering to God, it's supposed to be an animal from your household, like a dove. You know, you get it as an egg and you hatch it and you raise this dove and it's, it, it's part of the journey and you bring it to the temple as an offering to God. But the money changers turned covenant into convenient. You could just stroll up there anytime you want, throw out a few nickels, get a dove, offer it to God and walk away. And I want to challenge us. It might be a little bit like when we show up to church and let someone else sing our worship song for us. And church looks a little bit more like karaoke than it looks like a place where our hearts, broken hearts and tears are pouring forth. <clears throat> Jesus is deeply affected by us. He's also very notorious for wanting to honor his kids. He brags on his kids, which is why we have these stories where we know that Jesus drinks from Jacob's well and he sits on David's throne and he smells like Mary's perfume and he uses Paul's letters to turn the world to him. And I know maybe some of us feel like our lives uh, haven't made that big of an impact or we haven't amounted to that much. And this morning I was asking God how he wanted to minister y'all, how he wanted to encourage y'all. And I got a picture of the Apostle Paul when he's imprisoned and he's, he's, about, to be, uh, he's about to be murdered, executed, and he's writing his probably his final note to Timothy and saying, I've fought the good fight, I've run my race. And he's basically saying, I'm ready to go home. And, but Paul, he's, all he has to show for his life are a few churches that are complete messes. He's always writing letters trying to keep these churches from falling apart. He's going to die a convict, a nameless, faceless person and all he has to show for his life were a few letters. Don't judge the impact of your life until you're on the other side. God would take those few letters from that man who thought he died of failure and turn it into the New Testament that has turned millions and millions of people to Jesus and enriched our friendships with God. And I want to encourage you guys that <clears throat> David, Jacob, Mary, they're all cheering us on right now. And David would actually be bummed out if he thought that his worship songs would be the best in all of history and no one would write something better. Right? His ceiling is the next generation's floor to stand on. So what if, what if heaven is cheering us on right now, saying you can write something that encapsulates the nature of God that no one else has written? You can go higher than we ever went, right? Hey, um, I want to pray for us and see what the Lord <clears throat> has up his sleeves. And David, do you want to join me as we just minister to people? <clears throat> it would be my great honor to tag team with you. Um. <clears throat> Let me say, because last service when you did this, I got a word, and the word that I got was, you don't have to keep living with that thing. 
Jesus already gave his life for it. You don't have to cohabitate anymore. We make the choice to keep living with something that Jesus already gave his life for. The hurt, the pain, the failure, the shortcoming, the addiction. He already gave his life for it. So we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witness. Therefore, let us run with endurance and cast off that weight that so easily entangles us. We don't have to live entangled anymore. Mm -hmm. What is that thing that's entangling you? Fear, worry, shame, abuse, church hurt, fear, worry. You don't have to hang on to that anymore. Let it go. He already gave his life for it. It's covered under the blood. You know, I've often pondered the cloud of witnesses. Can they see our sin? I'm like, can they see your shortcomings? Can they see your failures? And even the Lord says, I perfected those who are being sanctified. Mm. And yet we're so focused on our shortcomings. You, Isn't it amazing how easy we get entangled, so easily entangles you? It's easy. But God covers it, and yet we're so focused on it. This is the freedom with which you've been set free. You don't have to live in it anymore. The lies, the fear, the shame, those things that tell you your life's not worth it, those things that tell you it's never going to change. We're our own worst critic, and yet Jesus took worst critic on the cross. Woo! <laughs> Powerful. So let it go, beloved. Come on, let it go. And I'm going to just tag in to what Pastor Jeremy said. You have no idea the impact of your authenticity today. Yeah. Your new song comes from your broken life now. It's a song that comes from your current state, life stage, and experiences, and struggles, and challenges. You must open your mouth and sing. Woo. We must stop being silent. And you've got to sing the song that's inside of you because you never know what that song is doing to the heart of the Father and what it sets up in the generations to come. And you know, we're not doing anything to try to be the latest, greatest, hippest, coolest, baddest, most, you know, popular. You know that. But God loves authenticity. When you're authentic, God does what he wants to do with it. You know, our church, our church, I want to actually call this church in the beginning, the authentic church. But I thought that might have been a little arrogant to every other church, like, <laughs> we're authentic, but you're not, right? Or the genuine church, the genuine church. Humility is just agreeing with the truth, brother. That's right, that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's hard to be perfect. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's reflect Christ, equip the family, advance the community and love our community. It's to be real because that's what God wants. And it's out of your authenticity of your broken place and your broken state that you release a song that moves the heart of the Father. Stop being silent and be genuine. Mm -hmm. 32 of the Psalms are open complaints to God. 32. And many of them aren't even, there's some things in there that aren't even true. Like I've yes. washed my hands in innocence for no good reason. This is a waste of time. Because sometimes you're going to feel that way. But God can handle those feelings. God can handle your authenticity. Just be genuine. 
Sing a new song from your broken place and watch what God does. And I'm telling you that we're building and digging a well, not for any purpose, but to take drinks from and to feed those that are hungry and thirsty. And you never know who's gonna drink from it in the years to come. You keep digging and you keep drinking. Yeah, amen. I'd like to pray for a few different groups of people. If you are a worshiper, songwriter, even if you're just starting out like baby, baby worshiper, would you stand up? There we go. Yeah. Would you put, put a hand on your heart? Where these hands are resting, we anoint right now to be a, like a bullseye, like a target, to be continually hit with the wisdom and revelation and affection of heaven. I release new songs, new sounds. I pray for the, the heart of David to fall on these wonderful kids. We thank you, Jesus, that you are opening up an authentic well of worship in every single one of these. In Jesus' name, amen. I also want to pray for um, uh, anyone who kind of identified with that story of uh, Paul at the end of his life. You don't have to be at the end of your life. You could be at any age, but you might be wondering if your life has meant anything or made, made an impact or what God has purposed with all of this mess and with all of this this journey that you're on. If that's if that's you, would you stand up? I want to encourage you in the Lord. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> we release winds of refreshing. And the hope of his calling and the glorious riches of his inheritance and the power that works mightily in the saints. We release the realization of all of those things onto these saints right now. God, for my friends who are standing, I pray that they would get wrecked all over again all over again with your affection. You've told them a thousand times how you love them. Would you tell them again? And I pray that you would encourage them the way that you know how to. Holy Spirit, great comforter. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard one step forward, three steps back. How many of you know what that means? (laughs) (laughs) And... So there's two dynamics to that. One of the dynamics is that you choose to to move forward a step and then you choose to step back three steps. You choose to keep running back to the old you or the old life or the old lies. But here's another twist to that. You, every time you feel like you're moving forward, this is one that I have related to a lot. Every time you feel like you're moving forward, and things are going really well, and you're like, man, I got my groove back. Situations and circumstances surrounding you knock you back. It could be sickness. It could be adversity. I mean, it's like all hell breaks loose. You start moving. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? All right, if that's you, stand up. 
If you felt that way, stand up. Let me give you all a piece of advice. <clears throat> Don't stop moving. You got to keep on moving. Because the enemy wants you to feel stuck and quit. Right? Like my friend Kevin. He's faced more adversity and sickness and hardship since he moved to Corpus Christi. But that's because of what he's called to do and what's coming. Not only in his life, but in this house. Every single time I feel like, man, I'm on the mountain. Here comes the valley. But you always have to remember your character's built in the valley, not on the mountain. Embrace the struggle. Embrace the struggle and don't give up. Keep fighting, keep moving, keep advancing. Even if you get knocked back, though a righteous man falls seven times, you can have a perfection of falling. You know what, that's what that means, right? I have a perfection of being knocked down. Seven times of being, it doesn't matter. You're standing, look at yourself. You're standing and having done all, having done all, you're still standing. Come on, let's just praise God right now. You're still standing. I know you feel like you keep getting knocked back. It's like, oh, you know, I got flamed on, filled with the spirit. I got baptized. I was so in the word. And now all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. Never stop moving. Pick yourself up. Stay standing. Do what you learned at the beginning. No more drifting. No more. You're not a spiritual drifter. You're not a gypsy. You just get, put your hand to the plow, get your eyes on Jesus like we sang today and keep moving. Come on, God is faithful. This is not dependent on you. It's on the blood that was already shed and the goodness of God for your life. Come on, you feel, we feel destitute and hopeless because we're not trusting a promise that's already been fulfilled. It is finished. All right, put your hands up in the air. I pray for you, Lord. I just pray right now for everyone watching on the live stream and everyone standing. You're gonna keep on moving. You are not stuck. And no matter how many times you get knocked down in circumstances and situations and people and adversity and whatever it is, though the outward man perishes, you are renewed in the inner man or woman day by day. Everybody say day by day. I'm renewed on the inside. God, I thank you that situations and circumstances will not dictate our pursuit of you. And Lord, I pray comfort to everyone here who's hurting, struggling, feeling distant with, from you, feeling alone, feeling isolated. Come on, you're not, that's a lie. Those of you that feel like no one cares, you're not seen, you don't have family, no friends, stop believing the lies. You got a, a body and a family all over the world and it starts right here. You are love, say that I am love. The Lord will not leave you destitute. You are not destitute. You're not alone. God is not gonna leave you the same. And he loves you enough to shake this stuff out of you. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. Let him shake it out. Let him shake it out. He's not gonna leave you the same. No matter what you face, you set your face like flint, just like Christ did. 
Say it, I'm gonna set my face as flint. You're not new to this, you're true to this. You stay true to the king no matter what you're facing. Stop being moved by your circumstance. You're a child of God, you're a head, not a tail. You're sons and daughters of the king, you're part of the family. And I bless you and I speak life and strength. That addiction and that fear doesn't define you. You're not defined by addictions. You're not defined by failures. You're not defined by your shortcomings. You're defined by the family you belong to and your sons and daughters of the king, period. Period. <laughs> Come on, amen. amen. You take hold of that word. You war with that word when you leave this place. Can I just speak a final word of blessing over yeah. your body? Yeah. Thank you, Lord, that you are digging a well in this city with these people. And that for generations and generations, this region will be blessed. But because of the work of these hands, I pray that they would be encouraged with the encouragement that you bring and that you would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you all so much. Let's give Pastor Jeremy Chuck a hand clap. Now, before we leave today, I would like to give you all an opportunity to give to Jeremy and Ashley's family and their life personally. He... It's not here for money. He's here, came here for a wedding, said, hey, I want to hang out. I said, no, you're gonna, we're going to hang out, but you're also going to come speak. And I'd love to bless their family. And so on our drop-down menu online, you guys can give to their life. It says Pastor Jeremy Shuck or guest speaker Jeremy Shuck. Uh, so you guys can go online or you can give today in the boxes just right on the envelope. If you'd like to give something to bless his life, please do. He's not expecting that. He's not here for that but I'd love us to, to sow into their lives because what you give to, you reap from. And I love them and I wanna sow into them. And so I challenge you guys to do that. Awesome job, bro. Awesome job. I love, you got me so fired up, so fired up. And I love this house. I love you all so much. And thank you guys for giving. Let's stand and I'll pray you guys out. Just put your hands out in front of you in a receiving position. <clears throat> I just pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you. I pray that the countenance of his face would be on the countenance of your face. Lord, may our faces shine with your glory. May we be radiant ones. Those who look to you are radiant. I pray against fear and worry, doubt, unbelief, sickness, instability. You are not a double-minded body. You are rooted on the rock. Trust the king, your best friend, the prince of peace, the Lord of lords, the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, 
Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel every day. He's God with you. And Lord, I pray resilience into this body to stay the course, to trust to worship with all of our might, to be even more undignified and to not let dignity rob you. (laughs) You are not man pleasers. Whatever you wanna do, Lord, in our lives, do it. No matter what anyone else says about it. And I thank you, Lord, for this family. We love you. I I speak life to you. I pray that you would have dreams from heaven and that every demonic thing trying to wreak havoc in your life would be driven out. You're not timid. No more fear. Forgive us, Lord, for being afraid. We give you all of our fears. Give it all to you. And Lord, even when we don't know what you're doing, we trust you. Just tell them, I trust you. Trust is based on fact. You can trust God. We trust you, Lord. You've been so good. You are so good, God. We're so good. There is no one like you, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Thank you for the mercy card. Lord, have mercy and forgive us where we've slandered your grace. Thank you for the grace of God. I pray Godspeed, the wind of the spirit to propel you into every purpose and plan he has for your life and that you'll never shrink back. No more shrinking. No more shrinking back, beloved. I'm sorry, Lord, where I've shrunk back. I'm sorry, God. Just tell him. Sorry for shrinking back. All your promises are yes and amen. And we are that promise made to Abraham. Joint heirs with you, Lord. Joint heirs.
I just pray waves of refreshing over everyone here who's weary and weak and tired, in a hurry, busy, in a rush. Sorry, Lord. Help us find that rest that you have for us now. Forgive us for complaining in the desert. Sorry for complaining, Lord, in this wilderness. In the wilderness world, Lord. Waves of refreshing. Waves of refreshing. Soak in the goodness of God today. Let yourself go in the presence of God. his presence, his fullness of joy. <clears throat> At his right hand, At his right hand, our pleasures forevermore. Thank you, Lord, for true delight and pleasure in your presence. Forgive us, God looking to other lovers and other things. Have mercy on this house, Lord. Have mercy, God. Just tell him you love him. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. <laughs> Y'all have an awesome day. And don't stop. Don't stop. Ever. <laughs>